0: Two readings today in chapter 2 of Genesis, verses 1 to 3, and I'm going to read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 11. So Genesis 2, I'm sure you can find that in your Bible. It's near the beginning. Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And if you turn over to the next book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 to 11. Exodus twenty one to 11. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy.
1: Thanks so much, uh, Gareth. If you're normally with us, then you'll realize this is not the Joshua, Joseph story, rather. We're, We're taking a bit of a break. We do an occasional series called A Life Worth Living. Um, And it comes from the idea that the unexamined life isn't worth living. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, looking at how God created the world and some of the things that he built into the fabric of creation. Some of the things that we want to be able to pick up and say, actually, they are good things that we still need to embrace in our life today. So, we've thought about the orderliness of creation. We thought about being men, being women. Today, we're thinking about rest, Sabbath, Christian rest. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the creator of this universe, that you made us. You know what is good for us. We pray that you would help us to hear what we need to hear this morning, that you would direct our hearts in the way that they should think and in what they should delight in. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, years ago, uh, many, many years ago, I went to um, the Tate Modern Art Gallery in, uh, in London. And in the main turbine hall, which the, the, they turned into a kind of a big display space, um, they, they had something about work. There was this kind of artistic display on work. And as you walk in, you have to walk down as you go into the big turbine hall. There are speakers all the way along the walls as you walk in. And there is just a man blaring at you, work, 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 work. It's a very stressful experience, especially on a day off. Work, work, work. But life can feel like that, can't it? It can feel constant. It can feel kind of like this frenetic activity. Work, 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 spend, spend, spend. DIY, 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 accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Impress, impress, impress. Check, Tokify. Talk, do I mean Tokify? Yeah, I do mean Tokify. Instagram, yeah, sorry. TikTok is what I'm thinking of. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Talkify is an app we use for our calendar. Um, I don't know what's going on. I need a a holiday, is what I need. Check in Instagram, tick, whatever it is, you young people check all the time, keep checking it. There's this kind of restlessness to modern life. And in all the haze and fog of activity and and thoughts and events and imposing themselves uh, upon us, it is very easy, isn't it, to feel overwhelmed at times? Sometimes you're going to kind of almost lose sight of, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Why are we even here? Well, look, there's a wonderful line in Psalm 46, verse 10. And, and, and through Psalm 46, verse 10, the psalmist and the Lord says to us, and maybe he even shouts it to us over the noise of life, "Be still and know that I am God." Be still and know that I am God. This morning, we are thinking about the idea of the Sabbath, of rest. And if you remember nothing else about what Christian rest is, then remember this. It is obeying the Lord's command to be still and know that he is God. Let's think about some things. Rest, first of all, is a gift and a command. Actually, um, here's a gift to you. I've managed to knock off a point. So if you're following along on the service sheets, the last point isn't there anymore. So there is a gift to you, a little bit shorter. But rest is a gift and a command. In the infinite kindness of our God, he has given us a weekly space where we can stop and rest. The Hebrew word for that weekly space is Sabbath. And it is a gift that is built in, as I say, to the fabric of creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The Lord completes his wonderful work of creation. And what does he do? He sets aside a day of rest. He makes the seventh day holy, set apart from the other days, a day for rest. And this day is a gift. The Lord blesses the seventh day. He pours his favour, his grace upon it. He blesses it. It is a gift. But it is more than a gift, it is also a command. So it's one of the 10 commandments we had them read. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall do no work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. The Lord completed his work in six days and then rested, and he commands his people to do the same. The Sabbath day is a gift and it is a command. And as we come into the New Testament, we see something of a similar pattern. In Hebrews chapter 4, uh, you'll have this verse in your sheets if you've got one, got one that the writer is talking about the eternal rest glory salvation that we will have forever the eternal rest that we will one day enjoy with Christ but listen to how that eternal rest comes about chapter 4 verse 9 of Hebrews consequently there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God we've got this wonderful future to come why have we got it for the one that's Jesus who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, his works of redemption, as God did from his. We have a future to look forward to because Jesus has completed his work of redemption, salvation. It's the same pattern. In the beginning, God completed the work of creation and rested, and he gave his people a day of rest that they could enjoy the Sabbath. In the New Testament, Jesus completed the work of salvation and then rested. And Jesus gave his people a day that they could rest and celebrate. It's not the last day of the week like it was in the Old Testament. It's the first day of the week, Sunday. It was Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples. It was the following Sunday that Jesus appeared again to his disciples. It was a Sunday that the New Testament church met on. It was a Sunday that John calls the Lord's Day in Revelation, a day for the Lord, a day belonging to the Lord. I think what I'm trying to say is this, keeping the Sabbath, or maybe as New Testament Christians we would say keeping the Lord's Day, it's not really an optional thing. It is a gift, it is a blessing to be enjoyed, but it is also a command. God completed his work in creation and rested and gave his people the Sabbath and they kept it. Jesus completed his work in redemption and rested and gave his people the Lord's day and they kept it. Now I want to spend some time thinking about what it is the Lord wants us to do with this day that he has given us. So here's the most obvious thing rest means resting. God expects us to rest on that day. We heard it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. On it, you shall do no more work. That is the normal work that you do, the work that you do to provide for yourself, a house, food, and clothes, and whatever. That normal work that you do, stop on the Lord's day. And you rest so that you can be refreshed. Exodus 23 verse 12, six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Rest so that you can be refreshed. Rest so that your minds, your bodies, your hearts, your souls can be restored. Rest means resting. So what about us? Do you rest from your normal work on a Sunday? And I can imagine what's going through the minds of some of you, but but I need to get ready for the week. I need to study, I need to catch up. If I didn't work on Sunday, I would feel stressed and anxious across the rest of the week. And people in the Old Testament had similar worries. But listen to what God says to his people in Exodus 34, Verse 21, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Even during the harvesting season, when every second counts, he tells his people to stop on the Sabbath. The thing about harvest is you've got to get the food in, haven't you, as quick as possible. Because if the rains come, they'll ruin it. And yet here is the Lord saying to his people, even in the middle of what is probably the most busiest time of your year, you rest on the Sunday. Stop for a day. And we think that's madness, don't we? I've got a deadline on Monday. Ofsted are coming in this week. You you want me to stop? That's mad. Or is it faith? You know, maybe the creator of the universe who created into the fabric of his universe a day to rest. Maybe, maybe he knows what he's saying. Maybe he's got this. Maybe the one who created all things is actually able to run the universe and look after you, even if you take a day off. Maybe he's got this. Look, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty here. I I, I mean, you know, I, I can totally see why that might happen. And I'm not saying that you must never work on a Sunday. But we are open, or rather, let me put it another way. Are we open to the possibility that maybe God is right when he says, rest on the Lord's day? And what what we do, and when we do, it's, it's refreshing, but it is an incredible statement of faith, isn't it? God is God, and I am not. It's a statement of faith that the Lord is the one who ultimately provides for us. A statement of faith that there is more to life than work and making money and getting the best grades that we can. When we stop, we declare to ourselves and to the world that God runs this universe and keeps everything going. It is not us. Many years ago, George, I can't really say his name. This is a matter you haven't, we'll call him McCollin. George McCollin was the director of YMCA in, in, in Western Pennsylvania in America. And there were problems, issues with how the charity was being run and his responsibility for it. He had so much to do. He was working 85 hours a week. And one day he went for a walk in some woods and he sat below a tree and he wrote this note to God. He wrote, Dear God, today I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. Love, George. George later wrote, And wonders of wonders... God accepted my resignation. Every Sunday when we stop working, it's as if we hand in our resignation to God. Father, I don't run the universe. It doesn't all depend upon me. My life, my happiness, my future. It doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon you. Rest means resting. Now, there are definitely exceptions to this. Deeds of necessity. Jobs that we must do to keep the essential things of life going. And deeds of mercy. Jobs that we do to relieve suffering and keep people alive. So so Jesus himself, he makes a point of healing on the Sabbath. The people he heals, they weren't about to die. He could have waited a day. But no, he does it on the Sabbath because that is fitting. To bring restoration on the Sabbath. Healing, help. That fits for what the day is about. So so deeds of necessity, deeds of mercy, those things, they they happen on the Sabbath, on, on the day of the Lord's rest. But they are exceptions. And so when you kind of think about the work that you might end up doing on the Sabbath, is it an act of necessity? Is it an act of mercy? Again, look, I'm not saying that from this day on you must never work on a Sunday. I don't want you to go away feeling guilty about what you're already doing on a Sunday. Because I know some of you, you're in jobs. that I mean, occasionally you have to work. And it's very complicated and difficult to get yourselves out of those positions. I know that some of you feel you have to study and you have to prep for the week ahead. And I, I, I get that feeling. And actually, I don't necessarily think you should change anything right now. But think about it. Pray about it. Consider whether the Lord who made you and knows you better than you know yourself might be onto something when he says, rest. Think about the way you work and study. Maybe you can change the, the patterns of work and study so that you don't have to work on a Sunday. And you can stop. Rest means resting. Because God is the Lord of the universe, not us. But then one of the reasons we rest from work is so that we can do something else. We can worship. So next thing, rest means worshipping. Now let me show you something from the first four of the Ten Commandments. Okay, In, In command number one, we're told to worship the Lord alone. In command number two, we're told to worship the Lord in the right way. In command number three, we are told to worship the Lord with a sincere heart. And then in command number four, we are told to rest every Sabbath. Why? So that we can keep commands numbers one to three. So that we can worship the Lord. Rest means worshipping. That was the practice in the Old Testament. Leviticus 23 verse 3 there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly, holy assembly. I've never seen the Avengers, but there's a line in, in the comics. Christian, oh God, I've given it away, given it away. Avengers assemble. Anyway, you know what I'm gonna say. We, 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 we as Christians, we are called to assemble. Christians assemble on the Lord's day so that we can worship the Lord. It's what happens in the New Testament. The the, the New Testament church gathers on a Sunday and we know what they do. That they preach and they sing and they pray and they break bread. They share communion. They read the scriptures. They remember and they rejoice in Jesus Christ, their Lord and their Savior. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, we're commanded to keep assembling. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, assembling. Every Sunday, Christians assemble so they can worship. Rest means worshiping. But why? Why does the Lord place this obligation upon us? Is it for his sake? in France um, in, in, in the summer and, and sometimes kind of see these things uh, a few times the outside a French garage there's a kind of Michelin man inflatable. The Michelin man is the, kind of, is the mascot for the French tyre company Michelin and he's a big friendly guy made out of tyres. Anyway, what he looks like doesn't matter too much but outside one French garage I saw the Michelin man inflatable uh, having air pumped into him. But there was some issue with the fan. It was kind of intermittent. And so the air would pump in and up he would spring and then something would go wrong and it'd fall flat again. And then the air would kick back in and up he would spring again. Now is that why we have to worship God Sunday by Sunday? Because God needs inflating again. He needs to hear us say how great he is. Is that why he commands us to worship Sunday by Sunday? Well no, obviously not. The Lord does not need our worship. Psalm 50, verse nine. I have no need of a bull from your stool or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? The Lord does not need our worship. We worship him because he is worthy. We worship him because it is right and fitting to declare the beauty and goodness and wonder and brilliance of God, just like we would speak highly of a wonderful piece of art. But also the Lord commands us to worship him Sunday by Sunday, not for his sake, but for our sake. When we worship, our hearts and our souls are nourished by the living God. In Isaiah 55, he invites us to come before him and he says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good. Where's this food coming from? Listen, it's coming from the words that God speaks to us. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear to me, listen that you may live. Where is our life coming from? It's coming from the words of God. Or Jesus promises us in John 4, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Where do you find water that will keep you alive? In Jesus. Or John 6, we looked at this last week. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Where do you find bread that will keep your soul alive? In Jesus Christ. You see, as we worship Sunday by Sunday, as we set our hearts and our minds upon the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our souls are refreshed. Our hearts are filled with the richest of fare. Theologian Augustine, writing in the fourth century, put it brilliantly, it'll be on the screen. He says, who would be such a fool as to think that the things offered to God in sacrifice or worship are necessary to him or that he needs them for any use of his own? Rather, we must hold that everything done in rightly worshipping God is of benefit not to God, but to man. For no one would say that he had served the interests of a fountain by drinking from it. When we worship, we come to drink of the eternal fountain of life that is God. And you don't enhance a fountain when you drink from it. I am not doing a fountain any favours when I drink water from it. The fountain enhances us. The Lord calls us to worship him because it is a blessing to us. To be in his presence, to set our hearts and our eyes and our ears upon the power of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. To hear him say to us, your sins are forgiven like we heard this morning. To hear him promise us, I have you in my hand and none will snatch you away from me. To hear his words of instructions and his words of life. To tune our hearts to praise what is most worthy of praise. We don't inflate God when we worship. He inflates us. So come, Sunday by Sunday, make the worship of the Lord your highest priority on the Lord's day. Do whatever you have to do in the week to ensure that you can assemble with the Lord's people and worship. Some of you uh, are on kids' work, and actually, you're all on kids' work now, so you're probably, uh, they're, not, they're not hearing this, but, but maybe you are on kids' work, and here you are. I just want to say, thank you so much. You, you, you do an amazing job on a Sunday. But sadly, that doesn't mean you miss some part of the, the, the worship that we have. Just think about it. You don't have to do this, but think about it. Think about coming in the evening. Think about using that as a way to assemble with God's people. Rest means worship, because the Lord is what our hearts need most. Christians assemble every Sunday to worship. And here's the final thing. Rest means feasting. Now in the Old Testament, one thing that's often associated with the Sabbath is feasting and and celebration and enjoyment. The priests in the Old Testament, as part of their sacrifices on the Sabbath, they offer a food offering. It's the image of God eating with his people. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the Lord's people have just spent the whole morning listening to the first five books of the Bible being read. These books have been lost to them for, for many, many years. It's as if they're hearing them again for the first time. And the people are cut to the heart. They are weighed down. All the ways in which they failed to be the kind of people God made them and called them to be, it's all kind of in their face. And they're cut to the heart. They're weeping. You know, it's like go to church, and there they are all weeping. And I know some churches and some pastors where they think if everyone leaves weeping and feeling miserable about life, they've done a good job on a Sunday morning. But that's not Nehemiah's plan. It is not the purpose of the Sabbath, the holy day. Listen to what he says in chapter eight, verse nine. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Get hold of the best food you can. Get hold of the best wine you can and feast. Celebrate. It is a holy day, not a pity party. A day of celebration, of feasting. The Lord had saved them and forgiven them and restored them. Don't weep and mourn. Eat and celebrate. And that pattern continues into the New Testament. Jesus is resurrected on a Sunday, the day that becomes the Lord's day, the Christian day of rest. And what does Jesus keep doing on the Sunday? He just keeps eating. In Luke 24, he meets two miserable disciples who think Jesus is dead and everything is lost. A bit like the people in Nehemiah, miserable, downcast. But Jesus tells them it's not all over. They don't know it's Jesus resurrected from the dead. He tells them it's not all over, and then he eats with them. And then they see and their hearts are warmed. And then later on the same day, he meets all his disciples and they too are miserable. They too all think it's failed and gone wrong. And what does Jesus do? He shows them that he's alive. He shows them that he is one and then he eats with them. We celebrate the victory of Christ over the grave. That's what we do, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. And the New Testament church continued that pattern. They ate together. Consistently through the New Testament, they ate together. Jude even calls these meals love feasts. The Lord's Day is a day of celebration, a day of feasting. Because on it, we we get a chance to celebrate the wonder and goodness and provision of God's creation. We celebrate that all the work of salvation is completed and finished by Christ. We celebrate that we're a family of God. We celebrate that in the act of creation, the Lord has given us the world. And in the act of redemption, he has given us himself. We rest so that we can feast and celebrate. Because the Lord has won and glory is coming. And what does it look like to feast? Well, it starts in the service. Feast on the Lord, nourish your hearts, your souls on his truth, on who he is. But then you continue throughout the day, and I don't want to be too prescriptive here, but I do think it is good that we enjoy this day that the Lord has given us. That we enjoy creation. That we enjoy redemption, salvation. We play, we laugh, we walk, we're we're with others. And and, and of course we eat. Eat well, eat good. Eat with others. Maybe that's something that seems a little bit terrifying to you, to to, to invite some people over on a Sunday. Well, maybe just aim for once a a month. See if you can have someone over on a Sunday. Eat with others, celebrate with others. Maybe you kind of think, well, gosh, that's just a lot of hard work. So it's going to be restful. Well, some things that are hard work and make us tired can still be restful. You can also, I mean, I don't want to give any, I'm not the person to give tips on how to do your cooking. But apparently, I think, you can probably prep some of the stuff the day before, which might help. But look, this isn't a cooking show. (laughs) But eat, eat well, eat good, eat with others. One of the things I love about Sunday at 6, our evening service, is that we have food afterwards, and it is not a feast. If you have been, you will know that it is not a feast. But people are eating together. There is laughter, there is joy, there is conversation, there is prayer. I heard about a family who on a Sunday, before they start their meal, someone raises raise a glass and they say the first half of Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. And then the others around the table reply with their glasses raised, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord has given us this day to rest. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's feast. Let's celebrate. So rest is a gift and a command. It is a day when we can stop. A day to worship. A day to feast. I've not said everything I could say. There are more arguments to be made. You may have lots of questions But have those things in mind at the very least. Rest, worship, feast. Let me finish with this. There's a beautiful description in Lord of the Rings of the city of Rivendale. And it is kind of a city of rest, where people go to find nourishment and and restoration. Listen, it'll be on the screen. Rivendale was the perfect house. Whether you liked food or storytelling or singing or just sitting and thinking best, or a pleasant mixture of them all, Merely to be there was a cure for weariness, fear, and sadness. I guess that's what the Lord's Day is about, isn't it? Merely to be with the Lord's people, worshipping the Lord, feasting, celebrating, playing, and praying is the cure for weariness, fear, and sadness. So make the most of this gift. Sunday by Sunday, come, set your heart back on the very center of reality itself. Why do I exist? This is why you exist. Come laugh and weep and repent and rejoice in the presence of the Lord and his people. Come and rest and laugh and play and eat. Come and drink from the eternal fountain of life. Warm your heart. Instruct your mind. Nourish your soul as you worship the Lord. Be with the Lord's people and find a cure for weariness, fear and sadness.